Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I'm joined by special guest Mark Gallardo, Air Canada's Executive Vice President of Revenue Network Planning, to talk about the airline's summer outlook, transatlantic and Asia recovery, and what's happening in the Canadian domestic market. Please enjoy. Hello, everybody. This week, we have a fun guest on the podcast. We have Mark Gallardo from Air Canada. He is the ex- Executive Vice President of Revenue and Network Planning, including cargo, alliances, regulatory affairs, and sales. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ed. Thanks for uh, having me. Excellent, excellent. Well, is uh, is uh, I, I, we are recording here June 12th, shortly after the ADA AGM. Um, how was the meeting for you guys? It was action-packed. I don't think we had a spare minute uh, when we were in Istanbul. We met with a variety of our of our partners, future partners, uh, and it was nice to see the buzz in the room. Uh, a lot of optimism uh, about the market, about the future. Yet, you know, the usual concerns about supply chain, you know, operational stability, uh, you know, of airlines around the world. I mean, I heard from airlines in in Africa and Sri Lanka basically complaining about the same thing that we're complaining about here in Canada. So. Very interesting to see that uh, you know the industry opportunities and challenges are are very much global. Absolutely, I mean that's the takeaway I took. I mean everyone's talking about sort of a torrid pace of demand. People are eager to travel, but the the supply chain, inflation. I mean all the same pressures are pretty much hitting airlines everywhere, and it's it's uh, holding the industry back a little bit. But you know it, everyone seems to be be making do as they can. Absolutely. So what about there for Canada? How does summer look for you guys? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really exciting uh, to see this summer, how it's shaping up. Um, we're going to be roughly, you know, 90% of uh, where we were in 2019. So we're still lagging our, our American peers, uh, a variety of reasons for that. Um, you know, we made some decisions during COVID about fleet um, and how long the recovery would take. And I think the pace of the recovery has surprised you know us all to a certain extent. Uh, so we're definitely short on fleet, uh, hence why we're at you know ninety percent of, of twenty nineteen. Uh, but as well, you know we had a big op- operation in China and Hong Kong, uh, and you know those have struggled to come back, which is contributing to the reason why we're not you know at one hundred percent of twenty nineteen. So uh, that being said, you know we're seeing very strong demand uh, basically across the board. You know I think. The pent up demand is continuing all the way through summer. Uh, we're we're very much excited by what we see in the international market. Uh, you know what we see in our trans border market, and in particular, you know despite a very competitive uh, domestic dynamic here in Canada, you know we're holding our own. So uh, very very exciting to see uh, this summer develop, and you know I think it could be uh, you know one of our better ones for sure. Nice. Well, I mean, that definitely echoes some other executives, particularly south of the border for you guys that, that are saying this might be the best summer they've, they've ever seen. Um, one question, you know, I've heard from a few people describe Canada as sort of a year behind the U.S. in the recovery. Would you agree with that, that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, Canada had very severe travel restrictions. Um, you know, in some cases, in the depths of the pandemic, we had travel restrictions within the country. Um, so there's no doubt that, you know, we saw what was going on in the U.S. while we were, you know, basically in the equivalent of, a, of an artificial coma here in Canada in terms of the airline industry. So we knew what to expect, but we knew we'd be, you know, anywhere from nine to 18 months behind our, our American peers because obviously 
in the US, you had the strength of the domestic market and the travel restrictions were most definitely less severe than what we had in uh, in Canada. Right. I mean, I, I just always remember the, you know, you, you were restrictions on traveling to states, but, you know, it wasn't really enforced. I, I remember going to Connecticut early on in the pandemic and, you know, it was just sort of a, a table that you could voluntarily walk up to to declare where you were from, but it wasn't really anyone stopping you. It was, you know, here in the U.S., the restrictions domestically at least were um, not very heavily enforced, I think is the way to put it. I understand yeah, Canada we, we was much to... more severe. <laughs> Exactly. We had we had some provinces in Canada that, you know, upon entry, uh, you're forced into a mandatory uh, isolation period. And that's traveling from within province to province. Uh, so we had to contend with that uh, on top of, you know, border restrictions. So uh, glad to see that this is all behind us and we're focused now on, uh, you know, what's to come. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the big markets this summer that everyone's talking about is the transatlantic. Is is it looking as strong for you? I mean, you said everything's strong, but does transatlantic look exceptionally good this year compared to previous uh, pre-pandemic years? Well, just, just you know, transatlantic has always been Air Canada's uh, bread and butter. Um, you know, for as long as I've been at Air Canada, almost 20 years now, uh, the transatlantic has always been uh, a big strength of Air Canada's going forward. And we always knew uh, that this was, uh, you know, underutilized uh, geography for us. Um, so, you know, obviously the transatlantic this summer looks extremely robust. Uh, but, you know, although it looks a lot stronger uh, than it did, you know, pre-pandemic, it's still, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, the Atlantic was very important for us. So I have to say, like, it's just continuing right. the trend that we had seen pre-pandemic. Uh, but the transatlantic next summer, uh, this summer, I should say, is really strong. Uh, and in particular, what we're noticing is a very strong desire from Canadians and Americans wanting to go to Europe in particular, you know, markets here that we call Club Med, uh, you know, Mediterranean okay. markets, you know, like Greece, yeah. Italy, Spain, Portugal, you know, there, I have to say that's a level of demand that I have not seen ever. Uh, you know, we're flying a large triple seven to those destinations. In many cases, it's simply not enough capacity. Wow. So, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's striking. Yeah. Yeah. I can no, I was going to say, any, anywhere stand out? Is everyone going to Barcelona or, or uh, Rome or anything, any place that's just crazy busy uh, out of those, uh, those ones you highlighted? Just Athens, Rome, Barcelona, Venice, Lisbon, all those destinations are red hot. Even Nice in the south of France. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I, I was going to say, you know, we, we fly the equivalent of what, two triple seven high density uh, aircraft into Athens per day. Each of those aircraft have 450 seats on board. It's like the equivalent of our A380, if you will. Uh, and that, again, it's, it's not enough. Wow. To imagine two, two daily 777s going into Athens and that's not enough. That's, that's a lot of people wanting to fly. Yeah, indeed. And how about Asia? You mentioned, of course, you know, China is still uh, restricted despite, you know, reopening. How, how was that recovery looking there? Because that was a big market for Canada pre-pandemic. Or Asia, not just China, that is. Yeah, so we're we're back to 100% of where we were in 2019 in Japan, and we're basically back to 100% where we were um, on Korea, and of course, in Australia, same for Australia. Um, what we're noticing on Japan in particular, there's, there's a couple of things kind of giving us a bit of a tailwind on Japan. So first point is, um, you know, Japan, again, having very severe travel restrictions, there's a lot of pent-up demand from point-of-sale North America to Japan. So right. we've, we've seen that and that's been a big, um, you know, boon uh, to that. But as well, 
because of Russia overflight concerns and restrictions, um, you know, we're using Narita as a hub to Asia Pacific. And with our commercial partner, you know, Al Nippon ANA, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pivoting Narita as the way to get to a, a variety of destinations in Asia Pacific. So that sounds really like a bit of a again. bit of a throwback to, to the good old days when, when everyone had to fly Indeed. through either Tokyo or Seoul to get to Asia. Indeed. And we hope, you know, this will give uh, ANA kind of a, you know, a different perspective on the, you know, validity of Narita and hopefully keeping Narita robust long term, despite Hanade opening up. But, uh, you know, obviously, we because of that Narita factor, you know, Japan is quite strong. Uh, there's always been large demand between Canada and Korea, so that's rebounded quite nicely. And of course, what everybody else is saying about the Australasian market, Australia has been phenomenal. Uh, so, uh, so generally speaking, the Pacific has been pretty good. Um, okay. You know, on on China, however, we're we're only flying four weekly. Uh, that's the that's same restrictions as as the U.S. carriers have. I mean, we're there at four weekly per United American Delta, so it's twelve. But it it sounds like that's very similar. Yeah, it's it's kind of proportional to the size of the Canadian market, if you will. But uh, yeah, that's so we're at we're at four weekly and. You know, that's where we think we'll be for the next little bit. And we're, we'll, we'll take full advantage of that. Okay. Does that impact your partnership with Air China or is that sort of outside the... I, it's, yeah. it's, very much, it's very much outside and, and uh, Air China continues to be a JV partner of ours. Okay. Speaking of partners, uh, I wanted to ask you, you, you launched last year a new partnership with Emirates, which, uh, you know, of course, global super connecting giant. Uh, how is that going? It's going very well. Um, so just to give you a bit of background, um, you know, here in Canada, you know, I was, I was listening to one of your podcasts where you talk about the Canadian market, the demographics, et cetera. But one of the things that's, you know, maybe unique to Canada is that Canada is going to be taking a significant wave of immigration. Uh, you know, the government has aspirations to take nearly half a million new immigrants per year uh, from a variety of countries. So if you compound that over five years, 10 years, 20 years, uh, it's a major, you know, international opportunity. And much of that demand is going to be coming from the Indian subcontinent. Uh, there's a very large immigration from, you know, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, et cetera. Okay. So, you know, when we looked at our partnership with Lufthansa, you know, because we've got a longstanding JV with, you know, our main partner, Lufthansa, this was an area of the world that Lufthansa didn't cover very well. And their ambitions for that part of the world are, uh, somewhat moderate. Um, so therefore, we we said to ourselves, we need something stable in that region for the long term. And we did an assessment and we realized that Emirates would be the best partner to you know give us access to that part of the world. So we're okay. in the very early innings here uh, with Emirates and we're you know more than impressed with what we see. Um, we're going to be launching a Dubai-Vancouver flight. Um, I think Emirates is going to be launching a Dubai to Montreal flight. Uh, and our Dubai-Toronto is now going daily year-round. Nice. And with this partnership, with this partnership, you know, we're we're gonna have a bunch of benefits, uh, you know, from code share to customer experience to loyalty to moving into the same terminal in Dubai. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of long term value in this partnership with Emirates. Could could we see a joint venture there initially and eventually, or is it code share for for the foreseeable future? Yeah, you know, JV is not on um, is not on the map, and for a variety of reasons. One being that in the transatlantic, we're in the transatlantic JV with Lufthansa and United called A plus plus. Yes. Um, and and you know that that part of the world is scoped into that JV, so it would be, uh, you know, next to impossible right now to have a fully fledged JV with Emirates. Got it. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Mark, we're going to take a quick break, and I want to talk a bit more about the Canadian market, the domestic market there. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Listeners, if uh, you're just tuning in, we're talking to Mark Gallardo, Air Canada's Executive Vice President of Revenue Network Planning. And Mark, you were just talking about the domestic Canadian market and some of the dynamics there. Uh, The government has a target of half a million immigrants annually. I mean, what what does the domestic market look like for Canada? Well, the domestic market for us, uh, you know, for the longest time, there's been, uh, you know, this healthy competition between Air Canada and WestJet. And there's been a few, um, you know, smaller domestic players, namely Porter, that was largely a Q400 operation based in Toronto Island. There's been a bunch of very small regional players that do regional flying. But in terms of heavy, you know, transcon-enabled uh, airlines, it was really Air Canada and WestJet. Right. And what, and what we're observing right now is uh, the creation of multiple, you know, ULCCs in Flare and in Lynx, uh, and we're seeing the emergence or, or shifting of Porter strategy away from just the downtown Q400 market, downtown Toronto that is, and moving now into the Embraer 195E2 and positioning those aircraft in our in our large hubs, you know, Toronto namely. Yeah, Toronto, uh, Ottawa, so, yep, there, yep. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I was was commenting like this is a dynamic that Air Canada hadn't seen for the last 20 to 25 years when we had, you know, airlines like Canada 3000 and Royal, uh, you know, around the time of 9-11 just before. So this is a domestic uh, um, situation that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and in particular, if you look at the fleet ambitions for Flair and Lynx and Porter, uh, it's almost like north of 150 new airplanes coming to Canada. Uh, for That's domestic a lot of planes for a con- for a country that I mean, really, yeah. Canada is what twenty five million people at this point. It's a lot of it's you know planes. you'd be surprised you'd be surprised that we just crossed forty million. Ah, so, well, uh, I'm sorry yeah. for sliding Canada of about fifteen million people. My bad, but um, I mean, still, so we- the hundred fifty new planes on top of Air Canada and WestJet in the market is is a, is a lot of growth. Yeah, you know, there's questions of about the sustainability of that, and you know, speculation about who will survive or not survive. But a couple of things that I just want to add, you know, firstly, if you look at the Canadian population, how we're, you know, split over the country, you know, if you draw this like corridor between Quebec City and Windsor, you know, literally, you know, almost 60% of the population in Canada lives in that very narrow band. Yes. Uh, and then when you go west of Toronto and east of Calgary, uh, very small populations, but a big, big, you know, geographic landmass to cover. And then there's a bit of a triangle between Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver. So the Canadian population, even over 40 million, we're very sparsely distributed over the country. And wherever there are population centers, it's heavily concentrated. And that's why, you know, there's many reasons why the ULCC model hasn't worked in Canada. It's because the population centers are, you know, so tightly condensed into small bands. And there's a lot of geography to, to, uh, to cover. Then on top of that, right. Canada is a high cost jurisdiction, high tax jurisdiction, which is, you know, a natural disincentive for, you know, carriers that are trying to stimulate traffic through pricing. No, absolutely. So that's why and we're, yeah. yeah. No, everything you say, it's, it's interesting because I look at Canada and it's, you know, you've got your hubs, but essentially you and, and WestJet and before WestJet Canadian, I mean, you're essentially flying the same routes from the same cities because that's where the people live and. 
it's it's hard. It's not like here in the U.S. where you know Delta's got their Detroit hub and United's in Chicago and Americans in Dallas. Like everywhere is a big city. You know, every, in Canada, it's everyone's got to be in Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal. It's yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's five or six metro areas in in Canada that have a million people and up. Uh, so again, it's it's you know a lot of this demand is concentrated primarily in you know three cities: Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. That's incidentally where our hubs are. Um, so definitely very interesting. Yes. Oh yes. So yeah. So you've got these new competitors coming in. Um, actually, you're going to be. Losing one, maybe swoop uh, merging back into WestJet. I just announced on Friday, but it it I mean, is that pressuring you? Is that changing your domestic network strategy at all, or or is it you're confident in what you're doing and continue to you know stay the course? Yeah, I know that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, seeing this kind of competitive swell coming our way, uh, you know, we made a decision that for us, success is defending our leadership in Toronto. Vancouver and Montreal. So prior to the pandemic, we had a very, you know, semi, semi, you know, large operation in secondary cities like Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa. Uh, and we really scaled that back down to services that only fly to hubs. Okay. Uh, and we said to ourselves, you know, we, we've got to double down on Pearson, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. And, you know, if we can maintain that, that's the definition of success and build, you know, large connecting hubs in each of those uh, destinations, you know, within the country, but also uh, internationally to kind of maintain our competitive position. Because we're saying the strength of our model, uh, obviously, is in the size and presence that we have, have in each of these cities, but also the connection opportunities that we've got through those hubs, which obviously our competitors can't match. Absolutely. So from that perspective, one, yeah. I just want to say one thing we haven't, haven't highlighted is your sixth freedom strategy, where uh, Toronto especially Toronto, but also Montreal and Vancouver uh, function as essentially, uh, you know, third party hubs to the US and you feed a lot of traffic from the Northeast over Toronto to Europe, from the West Coast through Vancouver to Asia. I mean, you have, yeah, it's not just the domestic Canadian market that's feeding those hubs and, and you do, you've done an exceptionally good job at that over the past decade, two decades. So yeah, I just wanted to, to shout that out, you know, shout out, <laughs> shout out for that. Thanks. No, no, thanks for noticing. Um, yeah, and we're we're very bullish about our six freedom, uh, you know, opportunity going forward. You know, I think if if you were to look at the map or the globe, and you you kind of see that our natural advantage is really geography, right? Like from from Vancouver, you know, we are the shortest flight path from anywhere in the North Pacific to the you know to Southeast Asia. Vancouver is the shortest flight path. Uh, even when you take you know uh, uh, Russia over flight you know consideration into uh, into the mix. Then you look at at Toronto. You know, it's a it's a really good east west hub. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's in the middle of you know. I think Toronto is now what the fourth largest metro area in North America, just behind Chicago, Dallas. I think it's actually Dallas, New York, and LA. Toronto's number four. Wow, uh, and, I didn't realize and, Toronto had grown uh, that much, but that's that's amazing. Yeah, and then you've got and then you've got Montreal, which one has. You know, complementary demographics to Toronto in the sense that Montreal is a francophone city, and there's going to be a lot of immigration from francophone countries from all over the world. So that gives you almost like complementary between what happens in Tor Toronto's market dynamics and Montreal's market dynamics. But Montreal is also the shortest transatlantic, you know, waypoint. Um, uh, so you bring that all together, and you realize you've got a pretty big geographical advantage, and if you can leverage that properly. Uh, that that represents a big opportunity, and we've noticed that with the Six Freedom 
That being said, you know, we're still in the early innings of that strategy. Um, what we did in the pandemic is knowing that the U.S. market was going to rebound quicker than the Canadian market, we basically rebanked our entire hubs to maximize on that opportunity. Um, and, and, our, and our hubs are slightly peakier than they were pre-COVID because of that opportunity. Uh, but that being said, you know, our, our latest market share number still has us at 2%. We're okay. still not even a top 20 U.S. international player. Uh, so every, you know, incremental market share point that we gain is, is a big opportunity for us. Nice. Well, that, that, I mean, that leads me to the interesting question you've got. You have a transborder joint venture with United. So and that's that market. And then you partner with United on the transatlantic separately. Do you work with United on those six freedom flows or do you guys compete in that market? How does that work? Um, well, we do we do partner because you know, on the North Atlantic, we you know Lufthansa, United, and Air Canada have antitrust, and we sit down together almost quarterly to design our networks on, across the okay. Atlantic. So United's fully aware of what we're up to. We're fully aware of what United's up to, and same with Lufthansa. Uh, again, I, I I don't see us competing with United in the sense that we're such a small player compared to United on the transatlantic out of the U.S. Okay. Uh, that our market share is kind of it's kind of inconsequential to United's um, business. Uh, so I think I think you know we've got a nice thing going in terms of our relationship with United and how we complement each other. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I wanted to ask on the on the trans border has the JV changed sort of what you're doing there because uh, now you I mean that's been you've guys sort of tried multiple times in the past and you finally got the joint JV through last year. Is that you know has that adjusted your network strategy on the trans border or things sort of same as before? Well, it certainly has because with the JV, uh, there's been all kinds of customer benefits and revenue management benefits that are unlocking the potential of using each other's hubs. Uh, you know, we we've had antitrust with United since the mid '90s, but it's only recently that we've locked ourselves into a revenue share JV. But even though we had antitrust, you know, and even though we were very strong commercial partners, uh, we didn't necessarily you know align our networks and our schedules optimally. Uh, and now with this JV, if you look at like a Toronto, Chicago, for example, or Toronto to Newark, we almost have an hourly shuttle schedule where we complement each other. Nice. Uh, and, and I'm sitting uh, here in and, DC and the and the, the big expansion I love this summer is, is you've got Calgary and Vancouver coming online. One route's on United Metal, one route's on Air Canada Metal. And that's uh, it's always nice to see some more some more love for my hometown. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're super excited. And, and Vancouver Dulles is killing it. We're so Excellent. happy with those results. So uh, definitely a good ad. And again, wouldn't be possible without United's uh, contribution for sure. All right. Well, Mark, this has been a fascinating discussion. Really, really enjoy having you on. It sounds like things are going well there. Lots of work still to do, but this is the airline industry. There always is. Um, so we're so happy to have you on the Airline Weekly Lounge this week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great discussion. And you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Ed. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.